Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, God has blessed us tremendously, especially the last few weeks with so many visitors. Uh, what an encouraging sight it was this morning to see so many of our visitors that had come uh, to Friends Day last week, returning this week. And uh, let's all be mindful in prayer and encouragement and invitations in every way that we can uh, to encourage folks to continue to come back. Last week was a tremendous success. We were within two in number of having the greatest number we've ever had uh, at an AM Bible class. We were only two away. It was homecoming back in 2001 uh, that we ever had more in Bible class on Sunday morning that we did uh, last Sunday. And then the return this week of so many visitors uh, just even adds to the success of the efforts of that day. And let's make sure that we do everything that we can do uh, to make that the spiritual success that God would want it to be. Uh, we appreciate each one that uh, has been a part of successful things of today. The Burkas hosted the widow's luncheon today in their home, and it always is it's such a warm environment. Uh, it's, it's a lovely home to be a part of for a lunch, and of course the meal is delicious, and we appreciate Melissa preparing that, and David and Melissa hosting us in that. And uh, we appreciate all the generous showering that was poured out this afternoon, Brenda Baldwin and their baby shower, and so many other good things that are happening. And let's make sure that we're a part of whatever God's given us the ability and the opportunity to be a part of that's good. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Luke, the first chapter. On Sunday night, we're going to look at several characters, if you will, several individuals that were gathered on the day of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But now as we study these individuals, just as we did last week with that of Peter, we're not going to concentrate on just only that day of the crucifixion, but we're going to take these as just a character study of things that perhaps we could learn. As a matter of fact, before we even begin this lesson, because I know we're not going to have time to drive these points home, so I'm going to ask uh, Jeff on the screen to do something a little bit unusual. Let's go to the very last slide. Let's go to the fourth slide and notice these four things. And as we study these texts this evening, it'll be up to you to see these in the text that we're studying in the application. In other words, I studied about 11 or 12 passages in depth to put this lesson together. But we can't study 11 or 12 passages in depth tonight. But when all of that study was finished, then I sat back and I thought, what did I just learn from studying the life of Mary in the Scriptures? Here's four things that you just can't help but notice when you study the life of Mary. Number one, she was a woman that strove for holiness before happiness. We make terrible mistakes in our life when we say, Oh, in my family, I just want us to be so happy. That's my highest priority. I just want us to be happy. Friends, you can't be a spiritual family and your highest priority be happiness. It's obvious in the life of Mary, there were a lot of things that she could not find an emotional happiness about those things, but she seemed to always find holiness about those things. So I want to challenge all of us as we study tonight, Mary. Notice that. Sex, secondly, notice that she was flexible instead of rigid. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but we'll go ahead and give an illustration that many can identify with. Life has situations that cause change. Have you ever had a family member that refuses to change when situation comes? 
Did you marry into a family that even though now you're married, they expect you to be at all the family occasions at the exact same time that you did when you were single? It's no fun, is it? Someone that refuses in the family to go through changes in life and to be flexible with those changes makes it miserable for the rest of the family. One thing that just echoes from the Scriptures of studying the life of Mary, and, and I want to just use an expression of speech, and you see if this isn't what we see. If there was anyone that knew how to roll with the punches of life, she knew how to adapt. The third thing we're going to see as we study the life of Mary is that she pondered a lot, a lot of things instead of being idle. Now, you can say, Preacher, what all do you mean about all this? I'll be honest with you. I'm going to take this one with me for several months now, and as I study the Scriptures, I'm going to be looking for this. I've never thought about it before until I studied most of the passages that deal with the life of Mary. And what you find out over and over and over was that she kept these things in her heart. She pondered these things. We see that. We'll see it tonight. And where other passages that we won't have time to look at tonight. But Mary was a thinker. She didn't know all that God had planned for her. She didn't understand how it was all going to come out. But she knew one thing. I'm going to think on these things that God has told me. How wonderful it would be if every family member says, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but I know the one that holds the future, and I'm going to ponder what he says about it all. And then finally, we can see this. She was persistent instead of irresponsible. She had a heavy load placed upon her shoulders. She had a load placed on her shoulders. I don't think anyone here would dare say, I'd like to volunteer to be the job of being a person on this earth that's married. I don't want to watch my son be crucified on the cross after the scourging and the mockery and the humility. I don't want to watch my son leave this earth at the age of 33, and that's just selfishness of a parent speaking. But you know what? Through all of this, we see her being at the right place at the right time to show support and devotion to her family. It's a remarkable story as we study the life of Mary. Let's go back now and let's look at several passages and I don't want to make the appearance of rushing, but yet at the same time, we won't be able to stay long at any given passage. The first set of passages we look at, we'll spend the most time with, and from there, it'll be very quick looks. We're at Luke, the first chapter, and at Luke, the first chapter, something remarkable happens, something that will never happen to any of us here, and we begin reading in 26. Luke 1 and 26, now in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now that in my mind just conjures up smiles. When I think about God and, and Gabriel just sitting there in heaven and saying, oh, Gabriel, I have a mission for you. And so he sends him out, and here's his mission, 27. He's going to Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Number one, we learn immediately that this young woman, and this is the first thing we learn about her, and we learn that she has the favor of God. She's received the favor of God. There's no greater blessing that we can give to our family than to be a family member that receives the favor of God. In other words, she had to place God as the highest priority in her life or God could not say, I highly favor you. When we think about well, as a husband or as a wife or as a parent or a child, what's the greatest gift that I can give to my family members? The greatest gift that we can give to our family members is to make sure that first and foremost, we find the favor of God in our lives. 
when we live a godly life and we have God's favor, we've given a tremendous gift to our families. But notice that second thing in the middle there, verse 28. He also says, the Lord is with you. You see, she had tremendous resources given to her there. She was poor. If you and I were looking for a young woman that would be the mother of Jesus, most of us would look for someone that, well, let's make sure that she'll be able to send them to the right schools. We don't want them to be up in Galilee somewhere. Let's make sure that they're in Judea. Let's send them to the, to the schools in Jerusalem. Well, let's make sure that he can wear all of the clothes so people won't laugh at him. You know he just can't grow and develop if the other kids laugh at him. Let's make sure that she's experienced. We don't want her to have never have children before. She needs to have three and four and make sure that she's done a good job with those. The truth is, if it were left up to us, Mary would probably be the last person on earth that we have chosen to be the mother of Jesus. But what did she have? She had the favor of God. And friends, there's no resource greater than that. When you and I have the blessings of God in our life, we may not have a lot of money, but we've got something money can't buy. What a wonderful gift. And the fact was, she was blessed for it. Now, as this communication continues to talk between the angel and her, we want to skip down to verse 34 when she says <clears throat> to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? You see, now she's reflecting God's purity. It's interesting to me that we are not given many details about why God chose her. But in the Scriptures, this one detail is revealed. She's not a fornicator. Here's a young woman that has something even stronger than in our society today. We think about engagement and marriage. To be the betrothed to another was even a stronger commitment than that of just engagement. But yet even there, Joseph and her were keeping themselves pure. Now, don't say, well, that's just the way it was in that day and time. Wrong. There's been fornicators as long as almost the earth has been in existence. Here's a young woman that made a decision to live her life for God. God looks down of all the young women and He says, right there is the one that's found my favor. Right there is the one that has chosen to live a pure life. And then... After they have this discussion, read verse 38, still Luke, the first chapter. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Here we see that she requested God's will to be done in her life. Now, I don't mean by saying this to maximize Mary beyond the level of a human. And I don't mean to belittle the commitment that Jesus had to His Father. But it is interesting to me that when she is being told, we want you to bear a child. Now let's interrupt this thought for just a moment. I don't ever find anywhere in the Scriptures where God forced anyone to do anything. Noah had a choice whether or not he preserved the human race to build an ark. I believe with all of my heart, Mary had a choice if she would give birth to Jesus Christ. And the reason I believe that is because, number one, God never forces individuals to do things. And number two, she gives an answer of response here. Gabriel tells what the plan is. And instead of saying, no, I will not do it, she says, let it be as God has willed. Now, isn't it interesting 
that that's the way Jesus' life began on this earth, being born in the flesh by a mother who says, let God's will be done. And we read Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and what do we hear him praying? Thy will be done. You think he ever heard his mother pray like that? He probably had. Because that's the very answer she gives there to the angel. How wonderful it is when we as family members that that becomes not only the motto, but the the deep inner etching in our heart that says, I just want to live my life letting God's will be done in my life. Now, where is that going to take her? She had no way of knowing the ride of life that that was going to take her on by saying, okay, I will bear the Son of God on this earth. And let's see some of that. In Luke, the first chapter, we see the first story that we'll look at. We're going to look at ten stories very quickly. Number one, she immediately wants to run and she wants to visit with her relative Elizabeth because Elizabeth is going to bear a son named John the Baptist and and she is further in her pregnancy than, than Elizabeth is, than Mary is. And so when she goes up to meet her relative Elizabeth. Now let's pause right here. You women can appreciate so much about tonight's story even better than us men. Many of you women will remember carrying your child and you remember the remarks people made to you about your pregnancy and about your baby and how it warmed you for them to talk about it and for them to compliment you about your baby even though your baby was still in your womb. Think if you receive this kind of compliment. Luke, the first chapter, verse 42. This is what Elizabeth says to her. She spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What a compliment to Mary. What a a resounding responsibility that she must have been reminded of when she heard individuals speak in this way. Here's a woman, no doubt, that was much, much younger than Elizabeth, but yet Elizabeth is saying to her, you're carrying the mother of my Lord. Now let's see a second story as we go over to the second chapter of Luke. In Luke, the second chapter, we read beginning at verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. Verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. You see, Micah would even prophesy the fact that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, but Mary was living in the wrong place. God could take care of that relatively simple. So he has the ruler to give a decree that all should go to the various cities to register. Now, you expect that mothers, you usually go to Dillard's or Target or wherever you go to register. That's not this kind of registering. This is registering where they had to go and and count themselves as citizens of a certain lineage, and because of their lineage, they had to go to Bethlehem. Would you go? Just because it's the law. Would you obey the law if you were going to deliver, say, within a week, and you were poor, and you were going to have to ride a donkey 90 miles? Would you go? This tells us something about the integrity and the commitment of righteousness that this couple had. Joseph and Mary are a remarkable study. When they will load and travel 90 miles on a donkey 
no doubt because of their poverty, having to pack food, put water in a goat's skin. Can you imagine her saying, well, Joseph, you know, we'll probably bear this son before we return home. I guess I should pack some swaddling cloth. You think that's the way she planned out her first child? I mean, before Gabriel ever came. You think that's the way she planned it? Well, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get pregnant before I get married so that all of the friends can gossip about me and everyone in town will talk about me. That's what I'll do. And then I'll go and I'll go on a long journey just before it's born because, wow, I like challenging things. You know, it's like women today that say, I want a natural childbirth. Can you imagine? Friends, I'm not trying to put in more in the Scriptures than what's there. I'm just saying, can you imagine, here's a young woman that she had no way of understanding and really no way of dreaming that her life would become this difficult. You see, the point is, her first priority wasn't happiness. Her first priority was holiness. And she was willing to be flexible and go wherever God needed her to go and her family needed her to go. And so we read verse 7, Luke the second chapter. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now just in case you haven't thought this through, I want to help you Imagine what maybe their surroundings were that night. I know a lot of the time people envision a, a little barn and it's kind of empty or at least a little animal here or here. I just don't think that could be accurate. If you go into a hotel today that's sold out, what's the parking lot look like? It's full, isn't it? If the mode of transportation in that day and time were animals, ox carts, donkeys. What do you think the stables are going to look like? I can assure you if there's no room in the end, there'd have been hardly no room in the stables. Well, sweetie, <laughs> he's precious. I'm not really for sure where we can lay him. I tell you what, that donkey over there is through with his grain. Let me, let me try to wipe out that trough. Here. Perfect place for him. It couldn't have been the way that Mary would imagine her first child spend his first night. We don't read verses of complaining. We don't read verses where she's shaking her fist at God and saying, if you really love me, you wouldn't let me be in this poverty. You wouldn't let me be away from my mother right now, from my family right now. If you loved me, you would have treated me better than this, God. Where is it? The silence of her murmuring and complaining is powerful. Here's a woman that proves her devotion to God in such a quiet and steady fashion. We go to the fourth scene. We can pick up with an introduction of it, Luke, the second chapter, and 21, to prove their godliness. And when eight days were complete... For the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. 
So you see, they were obeying the law just as God had taught them to do under the law of Moses to have the male circumcised on the eighth day. And then there was the purification that the wife had to go through. The one that bore the son would have to go through this and then present herself in the temple for the sacrifice of cleansing. And we read about this in 22. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what he said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now in Leviticus we learn why they would have offered the two pigeons. They would have offered the two pigeons because anyone that had enough wealth, just enough income to offer a lamb would have offered a lamb. But those that were in poverty would offer two pigeons. And so to offer a sacrifice for purification, she goes and she offers this just as God would have them to do. So now they're on a journey, and even in their poverty, they're still doing exactly what God asked them to do. And there they meet Simeon in verse 25. And he comes and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This is after he's looking at the baby Jesus. And so can you imagine Joseph and Mary standing there and they're hearing all of this, but note these words here. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken again. Now listen to this. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What a mouthful he said there that day to that young family. He said, let me tell you, your son's going to do great things, but your heart's going to be broken. Anna comes up and she encourages him also. The end of 38 says, and spoke of them to all the those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, if you will, turn back to Matthew, the second chapter in verse 13. In Matthew, the second chapter in verse 13, situations change again. This time, Joseph, still while they're in Jerusalem, has a dream. And in this dream, the Lord speaks to him in the second chapter in verse 13. And he says, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Now they're on a long journey. At this time, the baby is maybe six weeks old. So now again we're traveling, not closer, not that 90-mile journey north back to home, but now it's a long journey further away from home. You see how this woman is flexible. You see how her and Joseph are persistent to always do what the Lord wills. Now let's skip down to when they're 12 years old, and let's go back to Luke, the second chapter, and let's begin reading a verse out of 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Tells us again about their righteousness, doesn't it? About their religion. How they were following what God would have them to follow each year. And Jesus now, in verse 42, was 12 years old. And after they had left Jerusalem, they traveled about a day and noticed that He wasn't with any of their relatives or anyone that they inquired with. And they went back to search for them. And when they found him in the temple in 48, they saw him and they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, 
Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Can you imagine how this kind of burned within a mother? A burning of confusion. Because she knew all of these other things that had been said to her throughout the life of this child. And the son says, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. And they went down, but he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. If you lost your child, and your child was gone for a few days, and finally you found your child, wouldn't you want them running back to you and giving you a big hug instead of saying, why did you hunt for me? Don't you understand whose business that I'm to be about? Start building in your mind on this fact of how difficult it must have been for Mary to go through this transition of understanding that her son must be involved in something that's so much greater than her and her relationship with her son. With that in mind, let's go to John, the second chapter, and let's see the first miracle. And John, the second chapter, verse 1, it was on the third day, there was a wedding in the Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of the wine, the mother of Jesus says to him, they have no wine. This isn't easy for us to even imagine, not just as a mother, but... As any of us, Jesus was perfect. Jesus honored his mother and father. And so how is it that this was not a dishonoring remark? But it's not. But he says in verse 4, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, he goes ahead and he performs the miracle to prove that at least his time had come to begin his public ministry in a powerful way. But doesn't it seem that Jesus now is making clear with his physical family that he must be a part of something that's greater than them? You know, the truth is all of us should be a part of something greater than our physical family. If we are, and that greater is Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that it will take anything away from the blessings of our family. But it does mean that we'll have a priority that is greater than our physical family. Look back to Luke, the eighth chapter. In Luke, the eighth chapter is a passage. I can't really imagine how Mary and the brothers must have felt at this time. Most of you probably know that the brothers at this point were not believers in Jesus Christ. His very own brethren did not believe in Him. Mary probably did. They're walking up at this point. He's talking to a crowd that is gathered around him that are followers of his. His own brothers not being followers. And Jesus teaches a message in quite a tone of rebuking here. Luke 8 8 and verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My brother, my mother, and my brothers are these who hear the word of God 
and do it. One side of us wants to say, poor Mary. She's waiting to see. And her own son says, let me tell you who my mother is. It's the women that serve God. That's my mother. Let me tell you who my brother, my brethren are. It's the men that follow God. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was informing that there's something far more important than the physical family. It's our spiritual family. And then we see her in John, the 19th chapter, in verse 25. Many of Jesus' apostles had forsook Him. Peter had denied Him. John seems to stay very close because he's here at the foot of a cross. To envision Mary looking up at her son after no doubt seeing many of the other things that had taken place that day, In verse 25, listen to this first phrase and imagine it. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, His mother. I don't think any mother would trade places with Mary. But there's something remarkable. One of the last times we read about Mary in the Scriptures, she's done exactly what Jesus told her and the followers to do after His resurrection. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. He gathers them together, and she must, it's implied there, that she must have seen her Son ascend into heaven. And that within itself is another occasion that we could talk about. But then... They go back and they wait in the upper room just as Jesus tells them. And when we read in Acts, the first chapter, He gives a list of the ones that gathered and they're waiting and they're praying. In verse 13, it goes over the 11 apostles that are apostles at that time. And then in 14 says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brothers. Now his brothers are converted. Now they're believers in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And don't you know that Mary had so much to do with that because she would not leave him. Even when his brothers wouldn't believe in him, she seemed to always believe in him. Now, because they're waiting as they've been told, and then in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost is what they were waiting for. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the apostles and then they could, stu- they, he, they could stand and preach so that every man could understand in the tongue. Do you remember who was gathered in Acts 2? Jews from every nation. And do you remember what they were guilty of? Remember Peter's words here in Acts 2 and 22. And as we read these words, I want you to imagine Mary setting in that audience. Mary setting in the audience. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And those that were guilty of crucifying the Lord cried out at the end of this sermon, what shall we do to be saved? And they were told to repent and be baptized and then we read in verse 41 and those who gladly received his word were baptized that day 42 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and in prayer verse 46 so continuing daily with one accord in the temple of breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people I wonder where Mary was in all of that When those people were coming out of the water, they'd been baptized into Jesus for the remission of sins, but yet they were guilty of crucifying Jesus. I wonder if she went over and gave a hug to the ones that were responsible for crucifying her son just 50 days earlier. And when they went from house to house, eating and visiting and praying with each other, I wonder if Mary went into their homes and visited with them. The Mary I read about in the Scriptures, I would say she probably did. Friends, tonight, it may be that we make these family matters too complicated. It could be as simple as if we want to be the family member, we ought to be in our physical family. Let's just put God first in everything. And let's be flexible. And let's ponder the things that are right. And let's be persistent in those things, even into death. Tonight, if you're not what you need to be in God's family, won't you make that right tonight? If you need to be baptized into His Son for remission of sins, won't you do that? If you're not everything that you need to be in your own family, won't you make those things right by first making things right with God? If you have been baptized into Christ, but yet you haven't been a part of God's family, a congregation as you ought to be, won't you make things right with Him in one of the highest priorities that we could ever have in our life? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.